0: Well, good morning again And a little problem with the screens. We just had the network updated. I'm not sure if there's a connection with that or not. We'll pretend there is since it was just done. And uh, it helps us in a broader level being able to use the technology that we have. Psalm 16, please open your scriptures. If you do not have a copy of the scriptures, there should be one in front of you on the rack underneath the chair uh, right there. This week, as I read and reread this psalm, it actually unsettled me. There's nothing horrific in the psalm. There's really nothing unsettling except the reality in my own heart that I fail to experience the joy that is a reality that is found alone in God. A reminder that our hearts often, even as mature believers, chase after things that will never satisfy like juveniles, we keep believing a lie and keep wandering and going wayward in our own ways. And so I had to let the truths of God's Word, as they do if we allow them to be, to be worked deeply into my own heart again and ask the very real question that comes out of this text, am I finding delight and joy in God? Not just in His gifts, not just in where He allows us to be citizens, not just in safety this past week or health this morning. Even if all those circumstances crash down, am I delighting in God? Because if I'm not, then the other question quickly comes on the heels of that, and that is, then what am I delighting in, and do I really know Him? This psalm is going to press these questions into our hearts. I mean, he ends in the very last verse Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And yet, as I survey David's life, I realize he did not live with unceasing joy. He did not always steer clear of the sorrows that, that sin and idolatry bring. The last verse, first, fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, is actually the answer to David's prayer in verse 1. The New Living Translation says, You will show me the way of life granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Here's the hope of this text, the promise. God will bring believers, body and soul, through life and death to full and everlasting pleasure. Whether we are experiencing that right now or not. So let me, let me put this forward as I was starting to sort of create a list. I want you to hear these. When you hear about fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, two great real promises, but your life may include overwhelming regret this morning. Your years may have a multitude of sorrows. You may find yourself in a difficult circumstance harassed by difficult people. Your mind may be afflicted with doubt and questions, a type of internal or theological suffering. Your spirit may be crushed. You may grieve the death of a loved one, even that of a child. And your adult child may cause deep hurt by their waywardness. And the reason I put that list forward is because David experienced each of those. The author of this psalm walked those kind of details in his life. So it's not like this false truth only about a future. David is bringing it into the very the very difficult circumstances of life, and he's talking about delighting in God and finding joy in God. And there's hope. God will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of His presence and the pleasures of living with Him forever. So we're just going to break this psalm apart in, in two. And the first one is the prayer and preservation of believers. And the final one is this promise of hope and deliverance in God. So let's look at this. Look at the opening prayer. It just, the psalm starts, the hymn starts with a prayer. And we have prayed this often. I think as true followers of Jesus, we have prayed these words often. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in You I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from You. Sometimes what what passes us is the sort of the the different spelling of the, the divine titles in this verse. Let's see if we can just go through here. Okay, preserve me. Oh, what's the divine title? God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, all capitalized, you are my Lord, capital L lowercase. The Hebrew language is just not trying to get creative here. It's referring to different titles of God. Different names revealing different aspects of his character. And this is important because when David cries out for preservation, for refuge, he is anchoring that in the variety of God's character. The psalm begins with a request, a plea, preserve me. Preserve me means to keep. He's actually looking to God and saying, God, keep me. It's like that of a shepherd keeping watch over his flock. David knew what what that kind of keeping meant. Or a soldier keeping alert for the enemy. David knew that experience. Or a mother or father keeping watch over a child. As we were reminded of the sensitivity of that this morning. God, keep me. Preserve me. It's a prayer for preservation, for protection. But what what exactly is David asking to be preserved from? Because it doesn't spell that out in the first section. We will get the answer later, but what we do need to know is that David is going to make a, a petition that will be answered through confidence in a truth about God later on in the psalm. Other psalms provide assurance that this prayer for protection will be heard. Let me just read to you a few verses out of Psalm 121. It'll be about it'll be about five summers till we get to Psalm 121. Behold, he who keeps there's that word Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And parents find great joy in that truth. Because when we when we put our head down on our pillow, sometimes restless at heart, but needing physical rest, God does not. He is awake. He is alert. And he hears our prayer, God, preserve us, protect us, keep us. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Listen to what Jesus prayed for his followers in John 17. Two verses, verse 11 and verse 15. Jesus prayed to the Father I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. This is our prayer as believers, as followers. Lord, preserve us, Almighty One. Yahweh, Adonai, preserve us, keep us. David makes clear that his plea, his request to be heard, is not because of his own righteousness. His petition, anchored in the names of God, does not include any gift or incentive that David can add to that. Let me me just put it simple. If your prayer is this, God, preserve me because I am more righteous than other people. We, we see how that prayer works itself out in the New Testament. But it was the one who was humbled. The one who was emptied of self, emptied of his own righteousness. And he says, Father, have mercy on me for I am a sinner. I have no good apart from you. No matter, no matter how much experience I have or titles we can put behind our name, Or what security I can boast of. Or if all six of my children fear God and love Him and serve Him, that adds nothing to the righteous character of God. That is not the basis upon which God hears me. Lord, preserve me. Protect me. I have no good apart from you. Look at verse 3. Very interesting. Kind of takes us by surprise. When I first started studying this, I was like, that verse seems out of place. Look at it so you know what I mean. Look at verse 3. He goes on exulting in God using using three different divine titles, saying, I have no good apart from you. And then it feels like we shift from sort of first gear into fifth. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. What does he mean? How does that fill out the truth of verse 1? And verse 2, David is emphasizing God's supreme value to him by what he says about God's people, by what he says about holy people. Here's the truth. When we delight in God, when God is our refuge, our portion, our sovereign one, we will also delight in people who are godly. We'll delight in holy people. As for the saints in the land, saints, holy ones, godly ones, the ones who love God, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. He doesn't mean that he is rejoicing and finding delight in God's people above God or rather than God. He's actually saying, I am finding delight in God's people because I delight in God. Do you know that your delight in God is evidenced by your delight in godly people? But if in your speech, in your relationships, you are uncomfortable with holy people, that actually gives you a glimpse of your own heart. Proverbs 13, 20 to 21. Whoever walks for the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. If my closest companions out of a ministry context, if my closest companions, the ones I enjoy, the ones I look forward to being with, the ones I look forward to conversing with and hearing their jokes and their words. If my greatest companions are those who do not fear and love God, this says something about my own relationship with God. I'm actually delighting in something else. Because as I delight in God, in who He is, how He has revealed Himself through His names, as I delight in Him, I will learn to delight in people who love God and fear God and are called holy ones. Pure ones. There's something attractive about purity. There's something to a true believer that is attractive about holiness. Godless people don't bring David joy, only the holy ones do. And notice how he follows this. It's actually a contrast. He's delighting in holy people. But look at verse four. He's going to contrast this with idolaters. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. David is actually putting forward a, 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 a distance, a, a marking line between holy people and idolaters. Idolatry leads to increased suffering. Now, after this warning, David quickly returns to his confidence and delight in God. Look at verse 5. And he sort of just kind of systematically works through all these different descriptions. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I had the joy of traveling. Uh, with my son and five other men from Highlands last week up to Canada um, for for fishing fish fishing for fish, um, and I, in all seriousness, your pastor tried to read this text seriously to breakfast before our first day of fishing, and we came to this section. the lines had fallen for me in pleasant places <laughs> and of course, one of them and you know we change names here to protect the guilty, right? But uh, Shaikh Mendel, uh, he, he claimed this promise for his own. And sometimes our lines don't always fall in pleasant places on a lake. Sometimes they do. We're going to clear that out of the way because I can't get through that without without smiling. Because then I had to return it in all seriousness to the truth of the text. <laughs> Let's look at these titles. My chosen portion and my cup. It's the idea of a a banquet table or of 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 a feast. And out of all the different varieties of good things, out of all the things that could sustain and bring joy and life and delight, of all the different drinks and tastes, this is what David says, with all the varieties before me, all the options, all the preferences... God, you are my chosen portion in my cup. I will be satisfied with you. You will be my sustenance. Regardless of my circumstances, you are my chosen, chosen portion. Because the world will offer you a thousand different choices. And you will have to choose to be satisfied with God. You hold my lot. God is Adonai, Master, Sovereign, Lord, how pleasant to know the one who knows and designs all things. So when difficulty does enter your life, or hurt does come into your life, or grief does overwhelm your heart, you can look to the one you already know and say, you hold my lot. You're my portion. You're my cup. You hold my lot. You are the Lord of all things. I don't understand the hurt. I would rather it not be here. But you hold my lot. And when he says that, then this term, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The boundary lines. And I believe these boundary lines, David is talking about both a geographical, in a sense, very physical, but also a spiritual marker. These lines, these borders, these boundaries, look at the word he uses, are pleasant. It's the same Hebrew word used for pleasure in verse 11, which is part of the answer. These lines, as I look to you as my portion and my cup, these beautiful places, these lines have fallen for me in pleasurable ways. And then he ends with this, indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This is future hope. Future grace. Look at verse seven, because as he's working through these truths about God, look at what it does to him uh, in his affections, in his emotions. Verse seven, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. You know what happens? God, through his word, when we are in danger of sin or when we suffer harm from folly or we are on a wayward path. God counsels us how to escape. There is no temptation that is not common to all people. But God will, with that temptation, that trial, make a way of escape. He will always do that. He will always provide counsel. The path is never hidden. It's never camouflaged. It's not a secret way. God is very faithful to counsel us with his words. Matter of fact, David says this in Psalm 119, verse 24. Your testimonies are my counselors. Do you know when God most often does this? In stillness. Not in busyness. Because David adds, in the night also my heart instructs me. So you have... You have God's word counseling David and David in the stillness of the night is meditating on those truths. And it led me to think that perhaps our greatest cultural enemy may not be blatant, unbridled evil, but busyness that prevents meditation on God's word. Distraction may be the only thing keeping us from hearing God's counsel. And they could be very simple and non-evil things like another post or another episode or another comment or another comparison or another something to keep me busy until I collapse on my bed when God's counselors come to life in the silence and meditation of our own heart. David says, I will bless the Lord who does this. I will praise the Lord who does this. How, how much do we long to hear from God through His Word? Sort of that subjective but supernatural imprint. That undeniable sense that God is speaking to me through His Word. That brings in a peace that passes all understanding as I let the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. God becomes our refuge by counseling us how to walk in the way of life and not death. And he does this by his spirit through his word. Now that brings us to the second half. And the second half is a lot shorter. So let's look at the second part of this psalm as David sort of makes this petition, this prayer. And he's moving through the character of God and the results of either trusting God or not trusting God. And he brings us now to the second part of the psalm, confidence and pleasure in God. Look at verse eight. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I want you to I want you to feel the difference there, because what are the first words out of his mouth in verse one? Right. Lord, preserve me. Now he says, I shall not be shaken. Notice what has happened in this in this short psalm. David has moved from asking in verse one to affirming something about God in verse eight. He has moved from prayer for preservation to confidence in God that he will not be shaken. And he says this, he is at my right hand. What does that mean? We don't use that that phrase that often. To be at someone's right hand could mean to be their advocate in a court. You are facing very real charges and you have someone at your right hand advocating for you. It could mean support in battle. To be, to be in battle and to have a strong, proven warrior at your right hand brings confidence. Or if you have to face an enemy that you cannot kill, let's say death, and you have someone by your side who can, he is at your right hand. It could also refer to a friend on a journey a faithful companion. And do you know that in Jesus Christ, these are all literally true? If you think about this, that God is on our right hand. And notice the results of knowing this and experiencing this. Look at verse 9. Therefore, this is the result. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. It comes now into focus what David was praying for. David wasn't praying for temporary deliverance from a trial. It doesn't seem that. Not not in light of verse 10. David is coming to grips with his own frailty. David is coming to grips that he doesn't want to see life end, and he does not want the grave to be the dissolution of him. There's something about hoping for life after death. As Ecclesiastes says, God has put eternity in our heart. It comes into focus that what he is praying for is some kind of preservation from death. John Piper said that David is praying, quote, Don't let me be lost in death. Don't let me be shaken from the realm of the living. Keep me forever. And you know, David knew he was going to die. David had a visit from Nathan the prophet. And listen to what Nathan tells him in 2 Samuel 7. Nathan tells King David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Okay, but what hope is that? If when you're laid down in the grave with your fathers, you cease to exist and you have no more memory, no more hope, no more life. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down, when you are buried, just like your fathers before you are buried. I will raise up your offspring after you. But listen to what Nathan adds. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Listen to this next word. Forever. This is not a kingly line that will at one point cease. It is a kingly line that in a particular seed, a promised one, a deliverer, will actually go on forever. This is what David is praying for. Preserve me, O Lord, my refuge. From what? From dying and not existing anymore. Or from dying and living eternally without you. David knew he was going to die. But David, and you probably did not understand at this point that it would be Jesus Christ who would be called the son of David. He would come through that kingly line, but David did believe God was sending someone to deliver him. In other words, David knew a king was going to be sent from his own seed, from his own line, that would defeat death. It's an amazing thought. I really believe... David understood that because as the psalm progresses, he says, preserve me, O God, verse one to confidence in verses eight to nine. I shall not be shaken. My flesh also dwells secure. It will be preserved. Just on a personal note, I had the joy of sharing lunch with a brother in Christ this week. And he reminded me that elderly elderly people often suffer night terrors or terror of the night. And i remember when i crushed my foot and i believe mine was more than just the night but the oxycodone did something in my mind that when the sun started to set i became very fearful it was like a it was like a panic attack it was like i couldn't breathe and when the sun came up in the morning i was just oh, another day i'd never experienced that before in my life not during my motorcycle accident But in this particular occasion, I didn't know if I was just getting older. I was becoming more of a skeptic. (laughs) I didn't know what was happening. But I did know this. when When it got dark, I became fearful. And so when David says he needs a refuge, he needs a safe place. Out of all the safe places we can create or find, God, I'm going to choose you as my safe place. And he moves from petition to confidence. And listen to what he says. I will not be shaken. My flesh also dwells secure. It will be preserved. David knew these two truths. His own preservation from death through death and a coming king's triumph over death. The question is, do you have that confidence this morning? Do you know this God that you can call out to that is a safe refuge and a portion and a cup that satisfies Who allows these lines, these borders, to be in pleasant places. Who gives fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. Not in just the gifts that He gives, but in who He is. As the Apostle Paul prays in Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him, experientially know Him, enter into this relationship with Him, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. See, sufferings do not remove pleasures forevermore. They refine us so that we understand what the true pleasures of life are. The presence of God. Therefore, my heart is glad, he says in verse 9, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. And and look at this. We don't don't say a lot about sort of participles here, but look at the word for. This is the connecting participle. It, It indicates the grounds for David's assurance, his confidence. And just look at this. Verse 10. For what? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, to the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. And then David ends with this psalm, with this verse. You make known to me the path of life. That's what we're talking about. Life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The joy and pleasure that's in focus is eternal. I love what Jesus told the disciples. In John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Because Jesus is about to go away. Their very present safety and refuge is about to go away and leave them alone. So they thought. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen to this. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also a faithful companion in life's journey. And you know the way to where I am going. I've always loved Thomas response because it's just so honest. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The path to life. You will show me the path to life. Fullness of joy. Where is that found? A relationship? Money? Family? No, it's ultimately found in the presence of God, in knowing God. Pleasures. These are amazing descriptions. I want to close by drawing attention to two places in the New Testament where this psalm is quoted in reference to Christ. Because this is important for us. Peter quotes this psalm in Acts chapter 2, verse 25 to 28. Turn there with me in your scriptures. Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 28. Here, Peter is preaching a sermon at Pentecost. The promise of the Holy Spirit is, is here. Peter is connecting the Old Testament dots with the person and life of Jesus Christ. And he says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 25 For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. Remember, hope is about future things. Hope isn't something you've already received. I don't hope for a great fishing trip that happened a week ago. I hope for another fishing trip in the future. Right? It's future. So David is finding hope in what he penned in this Old Testament psalm. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And who is he preaching in Acts chapter 2? Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of this fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Uh, Go to Acts chapter 13. The Apostle Paul will quote this as well. The Apostle Paul will develop it a little more. Okay, Acts chapter 13, verse thirty five. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. Right. That's a euphemism for death. But that didn't surprise David. Nathan already told David that. He fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption, David's body decomposed. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, okay, he's, the context is Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Do you know in Christ we have nothing to fear, not even death? Because just as Jesus Christ is risen, so we will rise again too. 1 Corinthians 15, let me read three verses. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Jesus Christ is the first of his kind, the firstfruits. And just as he is victorious over death through him, in union with Jesus Christ, we will also rise even after we die. I'm going to ask the music team to come forward. We have specifically chosen the hymn of response be one about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ is risen. While they're making their way up here, just listen closely to one last passage. First Peter chapter 1. Of course, Peter, he's now a mature disciple apostle. He's already come through that re- rejection and restoration. Listen to what he says in one of his final letters. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy mercy we need mercy we need to not be held accountable for what we truly have done according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you fullness of joy pleasures forevermore who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice. Okay, ready for the reality? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, that's what the trials are doing. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. And folks, we feel the flame when our faith is tested. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.